This podcast contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, we are starting part two of this. Second recording. Moving my mouse off the screen. Pushing my keyboard forward. Moving my notes. Going live on Twitch. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Thundercast. My name is Lucas. My name is Christian. And I'm Liam, here with another podcast that just talks about movies. Exactly. Uh, well, today we actually sort of actually have a sponsor. We do have a sponsor. <laughs> we are sponsored by our patrons on Patreon. That's right. Uh, so we yeah. now have a Patreon. We uh, do. You can find it, I assume, with a link in the description. That's right. Or with the one that is right over Lucas's face right now. Hey. Uh, uh, Patreon.com slash Thunder Lizard. Just Thunder Lizard. No collective on that one. Just Thunder Lizard. Cool. So, uh, yeah, we have a couple patrons on there. Uh, they're helping us uh, make the show. Sure. Yeah, well, thank you very much to all of our patrons. We, we really, really appreciate your support. And we are coming to you live from The Vault. Uh, the Vault, where we are locked in. Someone please call a security guard. We've been here for a very long time. But come on, there's been some amazing scripts to read, some productions <laughs> that we thought we would never see. We have all stuff already. I got pumped out some real tears on that one. Oh, oh wow. Nice. Right on. You can be an like, actor. I was like, dead dog, dead dog, dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, oh, no. sorry, we forgot to mention uh, all of our patrons. We will make sure that we, you each get an individual shout out at the end of the episode. So stick around for that. Exactly. And before uh, we dive into the episode, we just do want to say, uh, please support the Black Lives Matter movement. It is extremely important uh, with however you can by going to protests, donating. There's going to be a link for donations down in the description. Uh, educate yourself. Just just do whatever you can to support uh, their movement as it's extremely important right now. That's right. Yes, people, just please do something. Exactly. Yeah, just, just, just be kind, be loving, and yeah. Now we'll continue on with our stupid show. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. We're going right into it. We're going into the ingestion. All right, everybody. Yeah, there we go. Uh, all right, who wants to start? I will. I would like to go first today. All right, cool. Go um, for it. So uh, I didn't watch a ton of movies, uh, but I did listen to a lot of music recently. So I listened to, uh, there's this musician, her name is Claro. And she has an album that's called Immunity. And uh, I've listened to it a handful of times, and I really enjoy it. Liam came over to my place a couple days ago because we're both COVID-free, as uh, I assume uh, Lucas is as well. But uh, we seem to be rather healthy, so we've been, you know, pushing the boundaries even just a little bit. But we've been hanging out. And anyway, we were listening to Claro, and uh, I really really enjoy her music. She does, like, indie pop kind of stuff, you know. Um, very bedroom kind of bedroom rock is is what it's kind of been denoted as because it's uh, a girl making music all by herself. Um, or at least I assume she uh, she identifies as as female. Anyway, um, and then I listened to another album called uh, uh, "All Bitches Die" uh, um, <laughs> by Lingua Ignota. Ling- Lingua Ign- Ignota, yeah. Uh, which I'm sorry I, I, if I pronounced that wrong. Uh, anyway, that's more of like a noise rock, uh, black metal, uh, advent guard kind of thing. Very soundscapey. Some of the songs are like 12 to 15 minutes long. 
Um, but the music is very, very, very emotional and uh, is written and entirely performed by um, this one woman who is a survivor of domestic abuse. And as a result, a lot of those uh, those stories are being told through her music. And it is it is exceptionally powerful. And I, I do suggest it for for everybody. That's so that's part of my recommendations. Uh, I'm just jumping the gun on that one. <laughs> uh, and then another band called Idols and their album uh, Joy as an Act of Resistance. Uh, they are an English um, hard rock band, um, so a lot of their music is similar uh, to other metal bands from that in that kind of area. Um, but I really enjoyed that. Uh, as for movies, I watched Goon, the uh, Sean William Scott hockey film. Um, I'm a big fan of that film. I watched it with my partner, and she actually really enjoyed it too. I'm not a sports guy, but I do like watching Sean William Scott beat the shit out of Liev Schreiber. So yeah, I do like <laughs> I do like that final fight quite a bit. It's really good. It's very very gross though. Uh, and then the one that I'm going to talk the most about is uh, I watched uh, Ryan Johnson's first film, Brick, last. Oh, night. nice! Yeah. It's about time. Yeah. Um, I'm jumping right into it. I really liked it. I really, <laughs> really enjoyed it. Um, I first I didn't. At first, I was not into it. I was like, "What the fuck is happening?" Well, it's. Um, I mean, it's that was also... kind of my first reaction to it as well. Because the movie doesn't have a first act. It just starts in the second act and then just assumes that you're smart enough to just accept what's happening. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, and yeah. I and at first I was like, "Fuck you! I don't like movies that do this." But then you get to learn why things are the way they are and and you get to understand like oh yes it is very much a noir film i don't think it needed to be in high school but i'm glad that it was because um some like pros that i was thinking of was that it's very funny there's a lot of scenes that i thought were like like, super funny um i also think there's a lot of scenes in there that are wow like i can't believe you got away with that like when brendan is is running away from uh is it the pit is his name of a pin the pins a goon or whatever and that you just hear his shoes you just hear their shoes stomping through the halls there's no music no chase music you just hear like the clacking of their shoes as they're running and i was like that's so fucking cool like a chase scene <laughs> with no chase music um i also really love the scene where brennan's in the in the vice principal's office and it's very obviously the rough around the edges cop talking to a the, yelling boss yeah to the yelling <laughs> boss the no holds bar like and I, I was like this is a very funny bend on the on the genre there i um, i love when he goes to the pin's house and he's talking to him and his mom is just in his mom's in the kitchen serving them yeah do you want some apple juice for your cornflakes <laughs> um some cons that i wasn't a huge fan of though was it's very obviously a first go that's mm. not so these con- cons are very they're also pros at the same time because well, like, I'm amazed oh, sorry, I was gonna say I'm amazed at what they were able to uh, do uh, how they were able to get as much done as they were with the money they had and yeah. the little resources they had exactly having said that the one thing that you can always tell in an in- that it's something's an indie film is it'll go wide shot with lots of negative space close up <laughs> nothing in between like there's no there's nothing in there to like show you the flow of the shot it's just wide shot close up you know like there's a bunch of bits where it's brennan standing in, in the hallway and it's super super wide and then it just close up on something that he's holding and it happens so many times in the movie <laughs> and i was i don't know if that's an editing choice or, or if that was like a, a directing toy choice but anyway um the, the last the last thing that i have to say is 
the movie plays like this is how cool people think they talk. You know, like all the dialogue <laughs> is just like, um, we're fucking cool. Like it's written by like a cool kid and mm-hmm. who's like, this is how I think I sound. And yeah, so that was the only thing. Having said that, th- those are all good things in a way because it really shows his dedication to trying to make something as per- humanly professional as possible at the time. And uh, I, yeah, think, I really, I, I think- really, really liked it. I will gladly watch Brick again. I think what also helps with, uh, I think one thing with the high school thing, I think the kind of talking too cool and the high school thing kind of go hand in hand because like uh, there are a lot of her high school kids and I wasn't treating this like it's a, uh, almost like a badass action movie without even knowing it. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> and I think that really adds to the charm. Uh, the biggest thing that ma- that stood out to me is that it's clearly an indie uh, production is the audio. Like yeah. there are points yeah. where it sounds very quiet, and there yeah. are other points where it's pretty loud. Yeah, the mm. mixing. I'm sorry, the, the location sound. Some of it isn't very great, but um, yeah, it also foreshadows a lot of things what Ryan Johnson would do moving forward, like uh, like his fat, like rural communities always pop up in his movies. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, got. Uh, was it cool guys in long but, coats? Liam, <laughs> rural. There's no rural stuff in Brick. Brick is a Brick's always struck to me as being in a pretty rural town. Liam, it's in rural. California. Yeah, but that's I mean where it was seemed pre- it looked pretty rural at least the way it was shot. Nah, be uh, nah. <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> put the trailer for Brick down below if you want to go check that out. But <laughs> I it's it's take place in like like suburban California. There's not a lot of like it's not like Napoleon Dynamite where it's like there's massive or, stretches of 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 space between the, the houses yeah, and the locations right yeah fair enough maybe i was think maybe i was thinking of looper for a second just because they both have jgl you were thinking <laughs> of looper. Uh, um but i mean like also a lot of his anime sensibilities are very much in there especially oh. when he's fighting the the football player yeah right? or yeah, or, or he's when like... he's fighting uh, uh tug and tug just keeps punching him and beating the shit out of him he keeps falling down on the ground to get back up only get punched back down yeah. again <laughs> or even funny. just like those shot those quick shots of like uh, him just punching somebody in the face like yeah. that always struck ve- struck very animated me mm-hmm. yeah anyway that's yeah. brick uh lucas do you have any yeah. thoughts on brick uh it's been a very long time since i saw it i remember the first time i watched it uh i didn't really care for it then i watched it again i'm like okay that's pretty good mm-hmm. but i feel like if i went and watched it again now i probably would appreciate it a lot more yeah having seen the rest of his films yeah 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 sensible look at us yeah. <laughs> level-headed boys uh who wants to go next i can go next lucas it is all right <laughs> all right uh i watched a movie on uh it's an amazon prime original movie called the aeronauts uh oh, yeah. it stars eddie redmayne and felicity jones uh again sto- Ooh. yeah 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 uh, except it's not a romance because uh, obviously they did uh, theory, theory of Everything together and they work really well in that one. Uh, so I was like, hey, I like both those actors. I'll watch this movie. And they were in a balloon the whole time. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I really, I really, really enjoyed it. So it's the story of uh, what Eddie Redmayne is a scientist trying to trying to find a way to predict the weather. And then um, uh, Felicity Jones is the aeronaut. Uh, she lost her husband in uh, a balloon crash some time ago. So like they're both kind of dealing with their shit while they're trying to 
uh, ascend to a height uh, that no one has ever been to. So they're trying to beat 23,000 feet. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, in yeah. this balloon. And, and the whole thing is you get some flashbacks to their backstories and stuff like that, but most of it takes place in this balloon. And they're, they're dealing with different challenges and different things going wrong and occasionally they'd see something really interesting like they're they're like twenty thousand feet up in the air and you get and like a an air current that's just a bunch of butterflies come by and like it's 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 a really really fun movie it's 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 like very much sort of um there's no bad guy like there's there's sort of a bit of an antagonist because like for eddie redmayne's character there's lots of people who are like oh you can't predict the weather that's that's all bullshit um, but for the most part, the bad guy is nature. The bad guy is uh, just trying to survive. And it's it's a lot of like clever solutions to problems and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just pure force of will. It's, I apologize uh, for that burp at home. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on, Lucas. No, it's I'd, I'd recommend it. It's really good. The acting's really good. There's no like shoehorned in romance or anything like that. Uh, uh, and, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, seeing people trying to overcome problems. Yeah. <laughs> I do genuinely like movies like that. Yeah, no, I, I really like, liked it. Um, I mean, like that's part of why I liked The Martian as much as I did. Martian's a great movie, but yeah, uh, and yeah, pretty much it, it pretty much all rests on Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones. More so on Felicity Jones. It's more her movie than Eddie Redmayne's movie, but both of them are very, very good. I, I recommend it. Uh, I also watched a. Um, a comedy special by Hannah Gadsby oh, called yeah. Douglas, yeah. Uh, her follow-up to Nanette. And uh, have, have either of you seen Nanette? No, uh, no. no I'm, I no, know okay. who Hannah, Hannah is, though. Yeah, yeah uh, Nanette is very, very good. Um, I think Douglas is funnier just because the second half Nanette of Nanette is not supposed to be funny. Right. <laughs> uh, but she opens Douglas with something I've never seen any other comedian or really any... Uh, any sort of stand-up show ever do and that's she talks about how Nanette was so successful and now she doesn't she didn't really know what to do with comedy specials so this one's going to be very different so what she does is she even she straight up says this I'm going to uh I'm going to meet your expectations by setting them for you now here with you in the room (laughs) (laughs) right on yeah yeah so she literally just lays out everything that's going to happen in the show that's really funny (laughs) and then starts the show (laughs) so what we're going to do is we're going to do the ingestion then we're going to carry on to our recommendations (laughs) and and she talks about how um uh, how, how she like has trouble talking to people and she's like and I'm, I'm laying these clues I'm, I'm laying in these these little these little uh breadcrumbs so eventually the the final reveal that I have autism is going to be like such a big big thing and then uh I'm gonna I'm gonna have like these little things talking about how oh I don't like small talk and you won't know why I don't like small talk yet but actually you do and stuff like that and <laughs> that's clever yeah right it's on. very very funny highly recommend it uh and then uh, I, did I talk about the Snowpiercer series last time? I don't. I don't think so. I don't think so. No, you. Uh, no. you talked to us a little bit about it off the right, show, right? But but not on the show, right? I started watching the Snowpiercer series, uh, based on the uh, Bong Joon Ho movie. Um, uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's it's episodes weekly, right? Yeah, I've only seen the first three episodes, uh, but um, it's it's okay. They've stuck in a murder mystery. For some reason because like mm-hmm. the main character is a, a, a detective because i guess everything's got to be a cop show now 
Uh, but most of the most of the performances are pretty good. I really like David Diggs, who was uh, he was in the original production of Hamilton as Thomas Jefferson and Marquis de Lafayette. Uh, Jennifer Connelly's in it. Um, I don't recognize any of the other actors, at least not off the top of my head. But it's it's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what I've heard too. I've heard that it it is kind of moving away from what the movie was trying to say. And not uh, maybe uh, maybe as. It's still a very, very much a, 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 I don't know if you can call it a metaphor because it's, it's so upfront about it, <laughs> but a it's showcase. very, yeah, showcase very, very much about class mm-hmm. and, and, and class warfare and stuff like that. Uh, it's very on the nose, but that's okay. Uh, the movie was, was pretty on the new, on the nose. Uh, and then they, they took it and just shoved it into the nose to make sure no one missed it. Yeah, like a dog <laughs> dog who poops, you know? Just yeah. Like, Don't do this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've been continuing to watch uh, Daria. I, I'm in season five now, so I'm getting close to the end. I watched the uh, the first Daria movie. Is it fall yet? I, I really enjoyed the movie. Uh, what were your thoughts on that one, Liam? Um, I quite like the movie, actually. Um, I feel like that movie does the best to really show, like... Uh, I think it's the best showcase for Daria and Jane's friendship, especially at the end or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Where, like, especially after uh, what happened in the show, everything that happened with them before that, and the interesting, I think, pretty much whole season prior that they had. Yeah, yeah, their their whole uh, problems they were having. But I also really enjoyed Quinn's arc in that. Yeah, one. with uh, where she's try- where she's uh, studying with that one guy to try and get into school. Yeah, like like she she doesn't do very well on on some standardized test, and she kind of realizes that she knows she can do better, so she actually like takes it on herself to get a tutor, and then kind of like genuinely learns to like try harder, which right I, I think was a really really interesting arc. You don't really get you don't really get arcs like that for characters like Quinn. She's sort of like the vapid, obsessed with fashion high like school girl sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, you don't really get arcs like that for characters like that, which I appreciate. Yeah, that's um, part of why uh, Daria really struck a chord with me, especially when I was in my teens. Mm-hmm. And just like uh, knowing people who were a lot like Quinn and knowing people who were a lot like Kevin and Brittany. <laughs> Hell, I'm pretty sure I even knew an Upchuck at one point. <laughs> I've known a lot of Upchucks, which is very <laughs> unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, that's my ingestion. Nice. Liam? All right, so... Uh, um, the first thing I watched uh, the other week, uh, I was kind of, I was kind of just, I was talking with a friend about the original Saw or whatnot, and that was, and he told me like, and I, and him Saw? and I had our, yeah, the original Saw. Me and a friend were having a discussion about it and how it's a movie I still don't like very much. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, but I'm happy uh, James Wan really uh, moved away from that and really picked and really uh, st- took a step forward. Um, and Benny was like, well, what about Leigh Whannell? And I was like, you know, I don't think I've seen a sol- a single. Uh, uh, was a directing effort from Leigh Whannell. So I decided Except to sit for down. The, the Invisible Man. No, well, that's what I'm getting at. Is that. Oh, uh, so... Liam watched The Invisible <laughs> yeah. Man. Sorry. So first I stat- sat down and I watched Upgrade for the first time. And damn, is that movie cool? I um, forgot like... we haven't done, we haven't recorded in like a month. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> I totally so forgot. this should be your cue to let the man talk. <laughs> I'm going to mute Liam. <laughs> 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 um but no it was uh really cool uh it was uh the way they kind of play with like ai and of uh, a physical and mental relationship to the human body i thought was really interesting uh the way they shot it was really cool 
like in the way the action's like super kinetic and whatnot. Um, they, uh, like if I'm remembering correctly, they essentially like hooked a phone to like the back of his head or like his arm or whatnot so they could track him yep. and they could follow the, and they could follow his punches and movements. And like it's, and it was just a real, it was something I hadn't really seen done with a movie before, mm-hmm. or at least in that kind of like, in at least done that way, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. I, um, uh, it's essentially, it essentially follows a uh, guy in a kind of a cyberpunk esque future whose uh, wife uh, gets murdered and he become and he essentially gets crippled to a point where, uh, I believe it's a uh, quadriplegic where uh, you can't, uh, where you can't move your arms and legs. Correct. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's so- like a complete quad. Yeah. Yeah, so um, he essentially gets an AI implanted in him to so he can use it so he can that could essentially reconnect connect his brain to, reconnect his brain to his nerves so that he could go out and seek vengeance on the people. Um, and it's just kind of like this cool it's kind of like this cool badass um a revenge thriller but with a little bit of like cool twists and turns that I really appreciated that. Yeah, it's kind of a but better, it's kind of an actual good Venom movie. It's just not a Venom <laughs> film, which was a big sell for me from one of my friends. Um, nice. It's also the first t- time I've seen, uh, uh, was it uh, The Poor Man's Tom Hardy, where I didn't mind him in a movie? Uh, Who, who's, who's the poor man's Tom Hardy? I'm trying to remember his name. His name. Uh, Shocker number one from Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. And uh, the dumbass guy who took his helmet off in Prometheus. Oh. <laughs> um. Um, but no, overall, I really enjoyed it. And then with once that was over, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should try and watch The Invisible Man now. Because I was originally going to see it in the theater, but then the pandemic started and I wasn't able to get out there. Right. Um, I think and, I talked about it on the show, didn't I? Yeah, you did I think as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, overall, I did enjoy that one as well. I didn't like it as much as up as Upgrade. Um, I do think that like it's incredibly well shot and mm-hmm. all of the acting's really, really good. Yeah, a lot of the I like visual a, effects are really good too. You know, I like the way how uh, when else sets up a camera in some frames, like you could kind of look in the background and you can maybe kind of pinpoint where he might be standing if he's in the frame and just, excuse me, assume where he might be in the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, my only real criticisms with it come from the script or more so at least in the way the script ends. Like, because overall, I think it's pretty well written and I like the way he updated the story a lot because like the Invisible Man is inherently something that Nobody's going to go watch the same thing again. You got to update it in some way, shape, or form. Um, so they went the domestic abuse or uh, abusive relationships route. And overall, it's done really, really well. But the way it ends, like, I'm not going to spoil anything, but on the one hand, it's kind of satisfying after all the shit she's gone through. But, like, on the other hand, like, I don't really know if I like what it says or about or does to our main character. I agree. So I'm I don't know. As of now, I'm kind of two. Mi- I'm kind of of two minds about it. Yeah. Mm. No, um, I'm in the. I'm in the exact and same uh, the last thing. And uh, the last thing I w- did was I replayed uh, Batman: Arkham Asylum a few days ago. Nice. Did, did and, you beat uh, it? Yep. Oh, right on. Cool. Yeah, I, that game's I not very long. In, yeah, I, it's a lot shorter than I remember it being. And I at first it like, was a lot yeah, harder pro- than like I remembered six, it being, but then 16 hours or something like that, I think. Okay. Maybe a little Yeah, because I got because I got through it in about a day and a half. Um, and overall, still very, very good. That game's fucking I mean, this tight. is all Yeah. I mean, like it's all I mean, I it made me want to replay Arkham City as soon as I could get my hands on a copy. <laughs> um 
But like, I think the smartest thing that game did outside of the innovations it did with the gameplay and how like pretty much all superhero games are trying to recapture what Batman Arkham Asylum did is the fact that they hired an actual writer to come on and pen the script for mm-hmm. the game. Paul Dini. Uh, right? That being uh, Paul Dini of uh, Batman the Animated. Yeah, Paul Dini of Batman the Animated Series fame. Nice. I've never played Arkham Asylum. I have played Arkham City though. Yeah, Paul Dini <laughs> wrote uh, both those games and then he, I believe he dropped out after Arkham City. Hmm. Um, but like the graphics still hold up pretty well for the most part. Um, at times, uh, I was, I'll flip between detective mode and regular a little too much just cause like I'll get lost in detective mode and then I'll be like, well, which way am I going? Um, I can't remember if that really improves in, uh, in Arkham city or not. I know bit. Arkham city. I remember Arkham city being a considerably longer game as well. Mm-hmm. And bigger, physically bigger. Yeah. But no, overall, uh, game still it's probably still one of my favorite video games. Um, and I'm just happy that I've had but you finally have the chance to replay it. Nice. Yeah, I love it quite a bit. And there we go. Uh, that does tie into one bit of news bit of news I wanted to bring up, uh, just in relation to Batman and whatnot. Um, and partially because Christian has said I should probably mention this. Um, which is uh, a few days ago we got the news that um legendary uh, comic writer dennis o'neill passed away um dennis o'neill being the uh man who uh essentially uh once the comics got more lenient with censorship turned batman into a detective again created characters such as um uh rachel ghoul and tali al ghoul um as well as uh, i believe and uh also most famous for his collaborations with neil adams um and like uh bear works on uh again on batman and specifically uh uh, their works on uh, J- uh, Green Arrow and Green Lantern, where they kind of became one of the major co- uh, left-leaning comic book talking points to talk about issues in, uh, uh, what is it, in uh, race and the civil rights movement. In fact, they created, uh, the, uh, was it John Stewart, who became uh, the first uh, person of color to be a Green Lantern. Hmm. Um, they also uh, took the question and uh, moved him away from uh, all of the objectivism bullshit and made him go into uh d- adopt more of a zen philosophy um in the way the character was portrayed um also if i'm remembering correctly he served as the um um the uh what do you call it? the chief editor for dc when uh jason todd was killed yeah and i believe he also came up with the idea of like call because uh to give you some context lucas uh uh when uh they killed off jason todd in the comics the second robin they had this whole thing where it's like, if you want him to live, you call this number. And if you want him to die, call this I, number. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I believe he was the person behind that. And he was also the person who fought for years to try and make sure Jason Todd never came back from the dead <laughs> until uh, he was no longer chief and editor. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. But no, as a comic book, as a fan of a lot of his works and whatnot, and the impact he left on the comic book industry, I feel like it was at least deserved to give him some kind of a mention oh, yeah. as we wouldn't really have... Uh, batman the way we do now if if it wasn't for him and neil adams thank you for all you did for comics yeah uh thanks liam uh that that was our eulogy in a way yep. <laughs> uh all right uh recommendations boys and then we'll go to break real quick sure uh wow, this, is, I have a rec- this is a quick and uh, quick ingestion yeah <laughs> go for it Lucas. uh my recommendation is a youtube channel actually uh there's this youtube channel that i watch uh it's called lady knight the brave uh it's it's this uh woman who makes video essays about movies as that is like 
at least 70, 75% of the content I consume on YouTube. Uh, but she only has like, she only has like 40,000 subscribers and she deserves way more because her videos are extremely well, well written, well edited, well researched. She just, she just released one. It's like an hour long about Jojo rabbit and, uh, the book thief, specifically the novel, not the movie. Yeah. It's, it's about remembering the Holocaust and remembering it, uh, uh, kind of with a twist is how she is with the title of the, uh, the video. She has lots of really good videos. One on one on the TV show Mash. Uh, she has one on uh, Atlantis: the Lost Empire. She has, mm. She's a real, lot of really great videos. I highly recommend her stuff. Nice, Liam. Um. Well, I mean, as expected, I recommend another comic book, <laughs> and that one would be probably one of my favorite comics of all time, which is All Star Superman. Nice, good choice, Grant Morrison. What a guy. So, um. All-Star Superman is a um I kind of wanted to recommend it after a uh uh was it after thinking uh a conversation Lucas and I here had off the podcast which is how nobody can seem to figure out how to do Superman right now at least outside of comics or in another medium and uh yeah, just Yeah, it's like the easiest like just have him be good. Yeah. <laughs> and be and a, a hero. Space and especially Jesus. like and especially <laughs> some people you know who I'm talking. You know who I'm. You know who you are, and when I'm talking to you, some people are. Most people are like, "Oh, Superman's too good. Superman's good, so he sucks. Superman's lame." Are you talking about a specific person that we know? Uh, you, I'm, I'll tell you off the show. Okay. For a couple of people. <laughs> okay, um, fair. I assumed you're talking to Zack Snyder. <laughs> uh, um, but like the comic essentially follows. Uh, so the All Star line was created uh, t- in response to Marvel's Ultimate line. To um, try and uh, give to uh, take pre-existing characters, give them uh, creative freedom and cr- outside of continuity, which was called the All Star Line, and that started with uh, All Star Superman, written by uh, Grant Morrison and uh, Frank Quitely, I believe his name is. Um, a, a, another name, but I hope I'm pronouncing right. Um, but essentially, uh, it's a 12 issue miniseries that starts with Superman uh, getting exposed to essentially too much radiation from the sun. And uh, as a result of that, is starting to slowly die as his molecules are starting to burn up. And the whole story uh, fall- essentially is probably one of the most hopeful comics I've ever read, as it follows just Superman going, uh, was it doing as much as he can to save as many people as possible? Uh, was it right any wrongs that might have been caused before he inevitably dies, while at the same time, always uh, was it still trying to tr- come up with a way to keep himself around? Um, and uh, like it essentially is a celebration of everything Superman. Like uh, Crypto's there, um, Lex Luthor is portrayed just as much of a sci- mad scientist as he is like an evil evil corporate tycoon, which I'm which I kind of like. Um, and like the artwork is absolutely stunning. Like that's like the artwork in that book is how I would want a Superman to look, a Superman movie to look with like this beautiful blue sky or like this amazing uh, was it uh, almost golden sunrise. Um, and like it even just has things as simple as like Superman flying around saving cats and trees and whatnot. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah there's, um, a, there's a very uh, infamous uh, panel from that where Superman's like giving a cat to an old lady. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, uh, it's often. I mean, I can't really say much about it, but it hasn't already been said a million times. It's often cited as um, one of the greatest Superman comics ever written. Um, and uh, uh, what is it? I really hope that uh, it regain it gets a little bit more of a resurgence in Hollywood after how many times Grant Morrison has tried to turn in scripts only for them to be turned away. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it doesn't help that he's insane. So. Yeah. 
Grant Morrison. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, if I'm Grant not going to get into Grant, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to get into Grant Morrison. Just look him up after the show and you'll see what I'm talking about or try reading some of his works. He's done a lot it, of acid. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he resurrected uh, Watchmen kind of, he did a lot of doomsday clock stuff. Okay. Um, is that right? Uh, no, that was uh, Jeff Johns. Uh, oh, fuck me. <laughs> Grant Morrison is the guy who killed off Batman, made Batman go through time. Uh, was it to a point where he became a pirate, a, a yes. hun, I think, at one point, a caveman? He, he's um, known just... for a Batman Incorporated, which I love Batman Incorporated, but that's just me. That's where that's where Batman has a bat cow. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, bat cow. Yeah. I'm going to put a picture yeah. of bat cow right here. There, so <laughs> you guys didn't see it, but the audience is going to see it. I might not even really put it there. So if you don't count. see it at, at at home, just Google search it. Out. But no, he's yeah. like a hardcore like he's almost. I'm not sure if I could call him a surrealist or an absurdist or whatnot. Okay. But no, like, we're not, we're just... not getting into Grant Morrison right now. Yeah, but like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, my recommendation is also a YouTube channel. I'm really glad that you uh, you brought that up, Lucas, because uh, <laughs> mine is uh, it, it. They're called Hats Off Entertainment, and they also yes. do a lot of videos related to film and editorials about film and, and essays and whatnot. Um, videos are a little bit shorter, but they do videos called uh, Almost Cult Classics, which are some of my favorites, um, where they just he just dis- he discusses um, films from the '90s, well, even earlier than that. Uh, pre-2000s films predominantly and just talks about how they had the potential they were so close to being becoming cult classics but or maybe just missing the recognition that they maybe deserve um does a few other ones that are called like like the failures of something i can't quite remember the name of the show but um some failures and he talks about the chevy chase show which is a very interesting episode uh, covers a lot of things like that. Um, his videos are very short to the point. Um, probably don't you don't usually clock in over thirty minutes, but uh, the guy's voice is very soothing and uh, and yeah, I really enjoy, I really enjoy it. So that all was these hats off entertainment. Hats off entertainment. That's right. All right, and, and Liam, you recommended uh, All Star Superman. Superman, and I recommended Lady Knight the Brave. Lady Knight the Brave. Um, so all of those will be yeah. down in the description below. Uh, so make sure you go and check those out. Uh, for those of you that are listening at home, uh, we'll have them in the show notes. If you um, also want to look for them, just go, make sure you go over to our YouTube channel and find them in the description on this video, this episode. Um, so that's uh, the ingestion for this week. So we're going to go to break real quick. Uh, so we'll see you in a couple of minutes. And before uh, we dive into the episode, we just do want to say, uh, please support the Black Lives Matter movement. It is extremely important uh, with however you can by going to protests, donating. There's going to be a link for donations down in the description. Uh, educate yourself. Just just do whatever you can to support uh, their movement as it's extremely important right now. <laughs> All right, we're back. Welcome, everybody, back to the Thundercast. Uh, today we are going to be talking about the greatest movies never made, uh, possibly even some of the worst movies never made. Yeah, uh, possibly. Yeah, possibly, uh, at the possibly. very at the very least, uh, films of interest that were in development that were in development at one point but never got off the ground. That's right. Like everybody at home slash you two, did you know that George Lucas optioned David Cronenberg or David Lynch to direct Return of the Jedi? Which was at the time. I did not. Yeah, which was at the time called Revenge of the De- Jedi. 
Mm-hmm. So both of them had just come off of doing some pretty um, pretty wacky films. Cronenberg had just done or just got off of doing. Cronenberg uh, did a Racerhead, right? Or is that Lynch? That's Lynch. Yeah. So Lynch had just done, you know, uh, Racerhead. Are we sure about that? Can someone look that up? Yeah. Whatever. One of the two of them had just come off of doing a uh, Racerhead. And a Racerhead did... is David Lynch. I am putting my foot down and telling you that. And then did the yeah, elephant. And then the elephant man. Thanks for yelling at me, Liam. Um, <laughs> Mr. Fucking Doctor Wikipedia over here. Anyway, they uh, had done Elephant Man, and uh, that uh, those two movies presented themselves as as pretty. And, uh, I don't know why, but for George Lucas, he was like, "I want one of those guys to do uh, do <laughs> my movie." Been, that would have been a very different movie. Yeah. So the reason why they both rejected it was for pretty much the same reason that uh, Edgar White walked from Ant Man. And that was uh, Cronenberg rejected the offer as it would have been a restrictive creative process and the final result wouldn't nearly have been uh, his vision. So he, he had said it would have been like wearing a creative straitjacket. And he was like, mm. I don't want to do that. So he, uh, neither of them, Cronenberg or Lynch, were like, we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, and mm. in part because um, everything, they, they like to be a massive part of the creative process from beginning to end. And since that's a sequel things are already established. There's already a visual visual uh, 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 consistency that exists in Star Wars at that point. The characters already exist at that point. There are people playing those characters at that point. There's not much for you to really uh, build on. So neither of them wanted to do it. Um, my thought, though, would be, what do you guys think that movie would have been like if it uh, had been made? Yeah, uh, both would have been very strange. Mm-hmm. Oh, for <laughs> sure. There would have been. It would be a lot more. There would be a lot more tangibility in like, uh, what is it? In the grotesque when it comes to like creature designs and like, uh, and like different aliens you'd see or whatnot. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. sure, I think because mm-hmm. uh, Jab is not in the second one, but the, the Tauntauns definitely uh, would have looked fucking weird. Uh, well, well, the Tauntauns are in Empire Strikes Back. Jabba was in. Uh, was in oh, Return right. of third, the Jedi. Third movie. Damn yeah. it, I'm an idiot. Uh, no, uh, the, uh, but yeah, so so yeah, Jabba probably would have been much grosser. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the uh, the sarlacc probably would have been a lot scarier and probably mm. more vaginal. <laughs> probably more of a metaphor there. I would also say that I would under one thing that uh, would also hinder him uh, was them from being able to uh, really create what they wanted to create is the way Empire ends, which is that like it would have been the uh, was they would have been shoehorned the same uh, was it uh or was it hamstrung the same way um. Of uh, Zemeckis and Gale were for uh, Back to the Future Part Two, where it's like you have to go and do this. You just based on the way your your previous movie ends, you have to follow through on what's been established. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and neither of those guys would really um, handle that very well. I think. No, have have any of them really done like much franchise work? No, not really. If any, like has outside, Cronenberg outside of what they've done, like of yeah. their own franchises, no. Lynch, like the closest thing, was probably doing um, like Twin Peaks and stuff, right? Mm. But that's his own franchise, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're both very like singular, specific voices mm-hmm. that I feel like if they are hired on to do like 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 a Star or like a Marvel movie or something, it'd be it'd be real weird. I would love like... to see Cronenberg's Hulk. I think that'd be that, weird. that would have been a great that'd, movie. That would kind of be cool. <laughs> I mean, Cronenberg has, uh, was it even when Cronenberg has directed, has adapted like a property or whatnot, uh, that being a history of violence or whatnot, it was more of a uh, underground comic that fit way more in his sensibilities than anything like, say, uh, giving him Batman or like Spider Man would have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
right, Aleem, did you want to uh, mention just just to bring up uh, how this idea came about? It's a little bit old news by now, but uh, we can still mention that. Look at uh, me yeah. jumping right into the topic, and we're coming back. Coming back. <laughs> yeah, nice going, Christian. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey! I'm having a good time. Okay, I'm just joking around, just laughing, um, having a goof, you know. Um, but essentially, uh, with the announcement a few weeks ago of how uh, apparently the Snyder Cut is happening and getting released now. Hashtag kind release of, the Snyder Cut. <laughs> um, I'm not going to get into any of the background stuff behind like uh, the Snyder Cut or any of that because I don't really because that's not really related to what we're going to be ta- getting into. Liam didn't think but it was it, real. No. Okay. So here's the thing. I will say. You know what? <laughs> now Fuck we're getting this. into it. <laughs> okay. So I was right in the sense that the cut did not exist in a releasable state. There's also the fact that Snyder has openly admitted that he needs to go back and shoot some more things. They gave him like $30 million to finish it. Yeah, but before that, when everybody was talking about the Snyder Cut exists, release it, I was like, yeah, I was right in the sense that it is not really, it, it does not exist in a releasable state. Yeah. Liam was wrong. Um, <laughs> and also, it's not the true Snyder vision, given that uh, the original script for Justice League was rewritten multiple times, but right after Batman vs. Superman, and while filming... So it's not the original of uh, the original vision Snyder had for that movie. Okay. <laughs> um, but it got us. But it got me thinking about like just so many projects that have been talked about or whatnot um, that didn't even get to the filming stage or whatnot, and just uh, was it and uh, was it have just been sitting around Hollywood for so long, and like just with the birth of the internet and how much information we have about these projects, I thought it might be fun to kind of talk about ones that we thought were pretty interesting that never really got off the ground. And then maybe we could talk about amongst each other, like if we thought any of these films would have been good or like if it's probably for the best if it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Like Liam, give us an example. Um, so one I actually dug up a little bit was uh, Guillermo del Toro's At the Mountains of Madness. Mm-hmm. And what is um, that one about, Liam? I'm running a talk okay, so, show now. <laughs> um. So essentially, uh, I was it uh, only so much is known about this project. So I only so I had to conjure, I had to dig up as much information as I possibly could. So uh, at the Mountains of Madness, the the story by H.P. Uh, Lovecraft was being pushed around Hollywood for a long, long time to a point where I'm pretty sure now it's public domain. Or I think a lot of Lovecraft works yeah, I, are. Yeah, I think most Lovecraft is public donate domain so. now. Yeah. Um, but essentially, in uh, 2010, Guillermo, de- Guillermo del Toro convinced uh, uh, Universal to distribute an adaptation of a novel with James Cameron serving as uh, serving as producer. Um, and uh, uh, again, after years and years of a potential of a film being tossed around studio to studio for years, um, del Toro, uh, from what uh, was it? From what he explained, turned in a treatment um, that was uh, that he was where he cited. Um, Alejandro Jodorowsky and the er- early works of Ridley Scott as influences. Um, we also know that James Cameron apparently wanted Tom Cruise of all people to star. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In a Del, Del- Toro movie, that would have been odd. Yeah. I'm well, trying to imagine it, and I, I, I don't think I can. Can't well, Cruise was also up for uh, Idris Elba's role in um, Pacific Rim. What the fuck, really? Tom Cruise, I feel like is is considered for almost every role. <laughs> yeah, like like someone's like I need I, I have a movie. It stars Tom Cruise. A, yeah, it stars a man. Tom Cruise. Okay, <laughs> we need a guy who could do stuff. Tom Cruise. How about yeah. Tim Cruise? Yeah. <laughs> they don't know they didn't um, let they don't let him finish the sentence. Like, yeah. Um, but so I'm one of the movie. Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. We're in. <laughs> um, but Del Toro started collaborating with uh, 
a novelist by the name of S.T. Joshi for, uh, uh, was it, to put together the screenplay. Um, however, uh, despite uh, about a year, a little under a year of uh, pre-production and whatnot and trying to get the project off the ground, uh, Del Toro and Cameron decided to walk um, as the studio would not budge to uh, what they wanted to do. In regards to this and his exit, Del Toro said, it doesn't look like I can do it. It's very difficult for the studio to take the step doing a period set R-rated tentpole movie with a rough ending and no love story. Uh, Lovecraft has readership as big as any bestseller, but it's tough to qual uh, quantify because his works are in the public domain. Um, and also in retrospect, Del Toro has said that it's probably for the best that he didn't make it when he did or made it at all because he's scared that the vision he had would have been, uh, people would have compared to Prometheus a little too much. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. And when exactly was this in production? Um, in in pre-production. Uh, it started in 2010 and he walked right at the end of 2010. Okay, so it's relatively recent then. Yeah, no, it was a big thing uh, Del Toro talked about uh, right after leaving The Hobbit. And uh, uh, then he, okay. and instead he went on to make uh, Pacific Rim. Mm, okay. Cool. Um, I, I think that could have been a really interesting movie. I agree, I mean, aside from the Tom Cruise bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Period piece, Tom Cruise. Like we've we, like we've seen Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like he's not wait no interview with a vampire. No, yeah, he, yeah. Oops. I have Keanu also Reeves. Keanu Reeves uh, does a terrible British accent in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. Yes, I have right. also seen The Last Samurai. Hey, I like The Last Samurai. I like I like The Last Samurai fine. Um, but like uh, I mean, the biggest thing that interested me about this project is the fact that if there's anybody who was to adapt a um. Uh, was it an H.P. Lovecraft story? Del Toro was some is somebody who would come to mind. Definitely, mm -hmm. he's he, for me. He's the first. I, I don't know. I, like I haven't fully read any uh, Lovecraft work, but I played Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I know a little bit, but uh, it's it's very 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 within Del Toro's style. Yeah. Um. Also, uh, just the fact that he was pulling from like uh, I was it from like uh, again like early Ridley Scott when he was doing like that body horror sci-fi stuff with Alien, uh -huh. and uh, as well as uh, Yodorowsky for like the more obscurantist, really out there, like not really understanding the unknown type of a thing. I feel mm -hmm. like it could have been something really, really special, and I think Del Toro himself said it best as to why the movie never picked up. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it'll ever, ever happen again? Some uh, some directors come back to projects, right? And I mean, with with the success of The Lighthouse. There's there's potential because the, the lighthouse lighthouse is not necessarily super Lovecraftian, but it definitely has a lot of elements of it. Yeah, you can definitely see some influence in there in some ways. Mm -hmm. The mm -hmm. insanity, um, madness. I was also gonna say that even with like James Cameron producing or whatnot, I'm starting to get to, get to a point where after watching Alita: Battle Angel, I kind of want to see uh, James Cameron just partner with more like directors with distinct visions and um, and essentially help them make their movies. Yes, there is a cat on Lucas's screen. Yeah, I thought I had my door closed, but apparently not. Hi, Kim. This is Kim. You can see her tail right there. I heard her meow. This is Kim. Little Kim. Hey, my cat. Hmm? She's very cute. Mm, really cute cat. Yeah. Can we eat it? I mean... <laughs> oh. No. Oh, okay. Don't eat my cat. Fair um, but yeah, she's. I, I'm gonna have to hold her, otherwise she'll she'll keep walking in front of the camera because she wants attention. <laughs> But she doesn't want to be held. <laughs> All right. But there we go. Del Toro's Mountain of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness. At the Mountains of Madness. Right. Del Toro's Mountains. <laughs> madness Mountains. Madness Mount. Mountains uh, Madness. Mount Madness. 
we're, we're the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Lucas, what do you got? All right. Uh, since you've already mentioned uh, Alejandro uh, Yodorowsky, uh let's talk about Dune. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dune. Yes. There is there is a whole documentary about it, uh, and um, Yadorowski yeah, is uh, known most specifically for directing a movie called The Holy Mountain, mm-hmm. um, and uh, was uh, like, was was did he option it or did uh, was he asked to direct? Um, uh, it was his idea, I believe. A producer. Uh, who who had worked with him on his previous movie came up to him and said, "Hey, uh, your movie did really well. Uh, you can do whatever you want." And Yodorowsky was like, "I want to do Dune." And they're like, "Okay, cool. Let's go option it." Have you read Dune? No. Uh, oh God, <laughs> I didn't know that was the story. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's he's like, yeah, but my friend said it was awesome, so I'm gonna read it. <laughs> wow. You know, one of my friends has told me about it, saying that like his version wouldn't have been Dune, but it would have been really something else. Yeah, it definitely would not have been Dune. <laughs> And like a dune like dune from like the the novel like it's based on it but uh yeah definitely would not have been that at all how so uh well he changes the entire ending for one oh, okay um uh, i don't want to spoil the book so i won't go into it um he changes the, that he changes a lot of stuff it, it, it was meant to simulate the experience of being on acid that's that's uh that is literally what Yodorowsky says in the documentary yep because i mean that's uh holy mountain is very much like cited as being quite a drug trip of a movie itself yeah well from what i understand he made that movie after uh 10 days of being sleep deprived and just tripping on psychedelics (laughs) Uh, time to be alive yeah Honestly, after watching the documentary a second time, I'm less convinced this would have been a very good movie. <laughs> okay. Because like the first the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, this sounds so cool. But the second time, I'm like, everyone on here is just so sure they're making a masterpiece that that makes me like assume it's gonna be awful. Especially <laughs> how many filmmakers fall into that whole mindset who have gotten movies made just utterly convinced it's going to be a masterpiece. Speaking yeah, of yeah, which exactly. you can watch in the trees on youtube.com <laughs> slash Thunder Lizard Collective. Um I was gonna say uh Lucas correct me if I'm wrong but uh wasn't uh HR Geiger also contracted to uh help with like the production design or something. Yeah he was one of the artists they hired I believe uh, they had two artists. I can't remember, like H.R. Geiger and one other person who's who I'm, I cannot remember. There's the producer on there. They had uh, Salvador Dali. Uh, he they wanted him to play the the evil emperor. <laughs> oh, Baron. Um, uh, the Baron or Baron von. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't remember the character's name. It's been a long time since I read the book, but. They, uh, who else? They wanted Pink Floyd to do the music. Yeah. Uh, they were in conversation with them to do that. I would have and... been okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is starting to sound like 2001 on Crystal Meth. Yeah, basically. No, on acid. Yeah, they, yeah, and they 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 they, yeah. they approached the guy who did uh, the effects for uh, 2001 uh, to do it, but Yodorowsky's like, no, this this isn't a spiritual person. I don't want him to make the effects on my. my I need I need warriors to make my movie. Holy like, crap! He's, he's a very eccentric guy. When he, if you watch the documentary, is he still understand. alive? Yep. Uh, yep. He oh. also I also learned that uh, recently, even in his early years, he was a mime before uh, he got into uh, filmmaking. Wow, because I knew he was, he was a playwright. Welcome to our Yadorowski uh, podcast. Uh, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. He he says some very que- he says some very questionable things that I'm not going to repeat in the documentary. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 
yeah, he was generally going to follow the plot of Dune, but with a lot of his own interpretation and a lot of his own just uh, decisions. And uh, he wa- he was going to get his son to play Paul, the main character, and like it, it just it just sounds. That's Kyle like, McLaughlin's like a, character. Uh, uh, Mc- no, is that his name, McLaughlin? Uh, in the Lynch version, yeah. or Lynch I, I haven't seen Lynch version, so oh, I'm not okay. sure. Okay. Um, and he, he actually talks about the Lynch version a little bit, where he says, um, he's like, I didn't want to go see David Lynch's movie because I have a lot of respect for David Lynch, and I'm like, if anyone can make this movie, it's him. But then I went to see the movie, and uh, because my sons dragged me there, and I, I got happier and happier throughout the movie because it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, most Dune fans I've talked to did not like um, Lynch's version. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen it. Uh, I've only read the book once, like, uh, seven years ago, so I, I don't really remember it too well. Uh, but Yoroski's Dune sounds like it would have been quite an experience. I don't know if it would have been good or bad, though. Yeah. <laughs> I also, uh, from not sure, I'm also not sure if it would have really been my thing if it got released, I think is the way yeah. to put it. Yeah, I, I don't think it would have been my thing. <laughs> I probably would have loved it when I was a kid. A kid yeah. Not kid, like young young adolescent. You know. Yeah, it would have been interesting if it was made, because uh, if it was made, it would have come out before Star Wars. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and it's very possible that could have completely changed uh, the history of film. Because that could have either tanked sci-fi or it could have, like, moved sci-fi in a much more intellectual direction than Star Wars. Right. Uh, or... Yeah, I, I have no idea. It could have changed film history. Who knows? Or, oh. or it could have totally tanked and no one noticed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll could never become, know. Yeah. Could have become a midnight uh, movie or whatnot. That's very possible. That is very possible. All right, Denny Villeneuve, you're up to yeah. bat. Let's see how you can do this. <laughs> All right, Christian, what about you? Um, I only have one more. So um, let's, let's get back to Liam for a minute. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, one that I was going to bring up, uh, this is another one where, uh, or actually this is one where there's a, ton, there's a fair bit of information on it, though sadly I don't have access to all of it. Um, but this was um, going to be an adaptation of iRobot uh, put together by um, Isaac Asimov and, Har- and sci-fi novelist uh, Harlan Ellison. Um, Interesting. Yeah, no, uh, this Sorry, everybody been... at home. Sometimes there's pauses because we, we all realize there's noises in the world. Yeah, uh, the dogs upstairs are dropping their bones on tile. Oh, I heard that, so that one. That, yeah, that's that's exactly what that sound is. <laughs> that's great. Carry on, Liam. <laughs> um, but so uh, it was going to... Uh, uh, essentially, this was an uh, option not long after the book was written. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, iRobot is probably one of the greatest uh, science fiction novels ever written. And it's also one of my favorite science fiction novels. Um, so essentially, development began began back in the 70s. I don't have an exact date. Uh, I wanted to uh, go out and pick up uh, what I'll get to in a minute, which has all the information, but I refuse to order it off Amazon. Um, but so uh, according to uh, Isaac Asimov, uh, this would have been the first really complex, worthwhile sci-fi movie ever made. Not a mere special <laughs> effects thrill ride, not a mere uh, thrill ride like Star Wars, and not a mere special effects extravaganza like 2001, but like just a very purely intellectually driven uh, science fiction movie. Throwing shade at, uh, at Kubrick there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ellison sought out, uh, uh, what is it? I mean, uh, claiming that uh, 
uh, was going back to like the early works of Orson Welles and Fritz Lang as a way to structure the story and whatnot. Um, and uh, but sadly, the film was passed on by the studio as they wanted more uh, wanted rewrites to include more action and an emphasis on special effects, which didn't sit well with uh, Asimov and especially Ellison. Because if you know anything about Ellen Harlan Ellison, he was a pretty aggressive man when it came to his visions or when it came to his vision. Um, however, the script has been, since been published in a, a was it in a novel and trade paperback form. Um, so like uh, that is one I really want to actually get the chance to sit down and really go through um, because like, well, also, especially given iRobot would, is kind of a hard thing to adapt inherently as uh, mm. the novel is just a series of short stories. I don't know. Just uh, I think the best way to adapt iRobot is to hire Will Smith and <laughs> fuck uh, no <laughs> fuck that movie and Alan Tudyk get Alan Tudyk in to come play uh, Sonny. Have Shia LaBeouf show up for a couple scenes. Yeah, and then uh, boom, pow. Have have uh, <laughs> have uh, what's his face? Will Smith drive through a tunnel where two cars come at him sideways and try to squeeze him to death. Okay. That, that was that was accurate, right? Yeah. That was an accurate uh, representation no. of the novel. Yes. So, uh, was hundred percent accurate. Sorry, straight just to go from on the a, page. Just to go off on a bit of a side Liam telling story moment, I have had an interesting relationship with a version of iRobot we got as mm. it came out when I was about eight years older, I believe. Um, but uh, what it, so, and I remember uh, growing up watching it, thinking it was an okay serviceable action movie. Um, and then flash forward, or I guess flash back to about uh, 2012. And I read uh, iRobot for the first time. And as I said before, it became one of the greatest books I had ever read. And then I remember, oh shit, there was a movie to this, wasn't it? Wasn't there. So I decided to sit down and watch it thinking that uh, I was like, you know what? I remember this kind of just being action, but maybe it did work in a lot of, uh, I was at thoughtful things from a novel, but this movie is garbage. It takes something <laughs> brilliant and turns it into something stupid. It shouldn't have been called iRobot because if I don't no. think if it was labeled as iRobot, then because what happened was they made the movie and they're like, this seems kind of like that. Let's just use the name. You know, they optioned a script called uh, Hardwired and uh, did a brief rewrite working in the three laws of robotics and called it iRobot. Yep. <laughs> Another perfect adaptation starring Will Smith, I Am Legend. Perfect <laughs> adaptation. Wow, Will Smith was really on a kick of butchering classic literary works <laughs> yeah, in the 2000s. Sure <laughs> anyway. Yeah, all right. Um, uh, but... iRobot. Uh, made directly by Isaac Asimov and another sci-fi novelist. What was his name? Harlan Ellison. Ellison. Harlan Ellison. Okay, Har cool. Harlan Ellison was also the person who, uh, uh, his short stories uh, were the inspiration for Terminator. Hence, why yeah, if you watch yeah. the credits for Terminator, he he is credited as a, a what, he is credited as an influence in there. Yeah, but okay. not until like twenty years later. Yeah, well, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not going to get into that, but it's based off a short story by Harlan Ellison called um, uh, what is it? I have no mouth, therefore I must scream. Yeah, sci-fi novels at that time had a lot of weird titles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, do androids dream of electric sheep? We can remember like it for you wholesale. For you wholesale. <laughs> Starship troopers. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I guess I guess I'll go next. Uh, the next uh, movie I I would have I really would have liked to see this one. Uh, at least this point in my life, uh, David Cronenberg's, Cronenberg's Frankenstein. Oh, what the Ooh. fuck? What? Yeah, yeah. He was going to be making Frankenstein. That would have been and tight. Not, yeah, I'm right. Not familiar I was, with this. You no, know, I, uh, yeah, he was uh, supposed. 
supposed to make a Frankenstein, which seems like a match made in heaven. Yeah, yeah. I want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> or hell. <laughs> but the, the cool kind of hell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like, I want to see that creature design. I want to see Cronenberg's like creature design for Frankenstein. It would have been so gross. Yeah, yeah. It would have been. Oh, would have been great. He probably would have made the suit out of real human flesh. <laughs> but like one of the specific things that really drew me to this one was he, he did say it would be more of a, uh, a rethinking than a remake but uh he specifically wanted to retain the the uh original concept of frankenstein being an intelligent not frankenstein frankenstein's monster being an intelligent sensitive creature as opposed to just the mindless monster in all the frankenstein movies right um or doing that... or doing a vaudeville act with uh his creature. <laughs> <laughs> that's a callback to our last yeah. episode if you haven't yeah. seen that one yet link down in the description down below but uh yeah i i, I just like is there like i don't know why but there's like no frankenstein movies where that are actually like relatively like loyal to the main idea yeah. of frankenstein like oh dude makes a monster and it kills people and they, they kind of latch it onto that instead of the the existential like crisis that that the monster was going through the entire time most adaptations are based off of the universal monster movie yeah right Mm -hmm. i was gonna say even uh brana's version tried to get closer to the book but it still missed it that's the one with robert de niro right yep robert de niro is uh the creature and uh um and uh brana himself played uh dr frankenstein Mm. Speaking of mm. which, Kenneth Branagh apparently made a really terrible movie with Artemis Fowl. Carrying on. <laughs> um, I was going to ask, Lucas, is there a script that exists for this film? Or? Um, I don't. It didn't make it very far into development, so I don't think there was a finished script. Let me just quickly read over this article, article I have open. There doesn't seem to be any mention of a full uh, script being made. Uh, but... Um, like he had just come, he had just finished the fly oh, when, wow. when this yeah. was, this was doing. So I get, so I guess he didn't, he, he was like considering it, but he didn't want to do another uh, remake of, of an old uh, horror story. Um, I don't know what he did after that, but I think, I think that would have been a really incredible uh, movie. Oh, I yeah. think Cronenberg's sure. Frankenstein. I, yeah. Judging by our reactions, I think we all yeah. are on the same boat on that one. I think that would have been spectacular. Yeah, Cronenberg is somebody who I would have trusted to make an honest to god uh, Frankenstein adaptation. Yeah, because when I because I, I had seen a lot of Frankenstein movies before I read the book, and I read the book, and I'm like, this is so much better. This is so much more interesting because like the the Frankenstein's monster is he's 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 such a at the beginning at least he's such a gentle creature very very gentle and sensitive but like he doesn't understand the world and he, he's hideous obviously because he's like all these different people sewn together uh and and people reacting to him the way people naturally would kind of drove him away and then he sought vengeance on his creator and like that's that's the main story and there's like there are at least uh, there's at least two possibly three chapters where Frankenstein and his monster just have conversations nice, like they cool. just sit across from each other and talk about like whether or not they owe each other anything and stuff like that that sounds like the kind of stuff Cronenberg would just eat up even yeah. as a storyteller yeah exactly like, I, he loves his long like dialogue scenes or whatnot where it's just two people talking together with a slight uneasiness 
Mm-hmm. No, yeah, this would be more than a slight uneasiness, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just saying that like I could totally see his style fitting something, fitting a, a proper adaptation of the novel. Yeah, exactly. Just, just the words Cronenberg's Frankenstein is also just very like pleasing to say. Yep, I agree. <laughs> Starring Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> let's get, let's, um, come on, Cronenberg. Come on. Yeah, I make was, it happen, was, you fucking dork. I was going to say I don't I wouldn't have been surprised if um I was it if uh I was a part of why he dropped out is because the Brana one was also being developed or whatnot because the fly yeah, if I'm remembering correctly was like 82? late 80s or whatnot. Uh yeah, or 80 it was um it just says 1980s. So I I can look it up later but I thought uh, it was 82. Yeah. I could be wrong. But um, let me look it up while while uh, Liam talks about his next yeah. movie. That's right. Um, uh, so the I guess uh, the one eighty six. Eighty six. Okay, I guess uh, then it would have been a longer delay because uh, Branas didn't come out until the it's early nineties. Like, that was ninety eight, wasn't it? I think I think it was eighty or ninety four. Okay. Anyway, um, dates, everybody. Welcome to the date podcast. Uh, <laughs> where we we name a movie and try to guess when um, it came out. I guess uh, I'll go for one more. Uh, Was it one last really quick one, um, which is um, uh, Tarantino's Casino Royale. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, could have been real interesting. So this one, it, it is quite interesting, given uh, especially the place Bond was at in the time. So this is in 2004, uh, two years after um, Die Another Day comes out, and nobody likes it. So they decide uh, time to go a new direction with Bond. That was the um, la- that's the last Brosnan one, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, in 2004, uh, uh, they decide to uh, just relaunch Bond altogether, just with a new vision and new outlook on the character uh, on how they're going to make the movies. Uh, Tarantino comes in and decides to uh, pitch an adaptation, which is essentially a straight adaptation, period piece, and everything. Uh, was it the novel Casino Royale, which, in case you don't know, is the first of the uh, Bond books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. His whole plan was to shoot it completely in black and white, and again, just keep the uh, I was a keep the Cold War aesthetic and whatnot and setting. Um, and uh, he has the interesting thing he wanted to do is he wanted to keep Brosnan and just uh, I was it as Bond for that setting because he felt like he was the actor who would fit the best there. Interesting, very interesting. Um, uh, though it was canceled for uh, 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 was it mainly because um. Uh, MGM didn't think that um, his version would sell to a mainstream audience. It definitely would not have. <laughs> and uh, they were also they also weren't too happy that Tarantino went to the Fleming family behind his their, the studio's back to try and option the rights, and to try and develop a project. What a guy, hey? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think he, he ever would have been. I don't know if I don't know uh, what happened in the production, but I feel like he never would have been allowed to make that movie. No, no. <laughs> I, you can definitely see that he is inspired by it, uh, by oh, yeah. James Bond, and, and mm-hmm. it's Ian Fleming, right, is his name? Yeah, Ian yeah. Fleming is yeah. the creator of Bond. Yeah, and uh, are they still writing Bond books? Do they still come out? Because I know he's uh, dead. I think so. There have, been, uh, uh, there have been other Bond books written. Uh, was it not written by Ian Fleming? Because I know okay. Frank Herbert's children took on Dune after he died, mm. and uh, Steve Larson's Larson, whatever. His his family also wrote a fourth book, and I think is a fifth potentially. I could be wrong on that, but they wrote another uh, dragon tattoo book. So, um, oh, okay. and then also same with uh, Douglas Adams. I believe his kid or his daughter mm-hmm. um, wrote. Well, I, it was it was the author of Artemis Fowl, I think, that wrote the sixth uh, 
Hitchhiker's Guide. Oh, yep. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah. And, and then Brandon the, Sanders Brandon Sanderson finished the the Wheel of Time after Robert Jordan passed. I don't know Wheel of Time. Oh. Oh. It's um, <laughs> but uh Guys, do you want to start a book club and we'll all start reading Discords? <laughs> Discord. I was gonna I was gonna ask you two directly, um, given you two aren't especially Bond fans or whatnot, what do you think this project would have been like assuming it actually did come to fruition? It definitely would have been the most tame Tarantino movie possible. I cause I there's no mm. possible way they would he would have made it a violent film because I think he respects film and he respects other people's stories way too much. To uh, Bond is pretty violent in the books and pretty h- hardcore. No, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying because he's also such a fan of of film that the Bond films are not especially violent. The violence is kind of cartoony. I'm not a big. I'm not a fan of the Bond films. I've maybe mm-hmm. seen. I've only seen the Craig ones, uh, to uh, my knowledge, and I haven't even seen all of those. Yeah, I've seen a handful of the of the older ones, and I've 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 never walked out of a Bond movie going like that was awesome. Right. I was always um, like, that was a movie. I guess at this time, uh, the most violent Bond film that was made was License to Kill. And in that film, uh, uh, Timothy Dalton uh, shoves, uh, essentially uh, kicks uh, Benicio into a... Um, a helicopter, uh, right? Or no, it's not a helicopter. It's like, uh, you know, like those machines that grind up rocks and whatnot and break them down into gravel? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, take no, I, your wife out for dinner. Isn't that the line he says or something? Uh, no, uh, so... Uh, I guess this is a side thing, but Lucas, uh, um, so uh, what was I saying? Uh, Benicio. License to Kill is uh, Bene- is one of Benicio's first movies where he plays um, the villains, essentially lead a uh, lead henchman. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a point where uh, they essentially kidnap this guy and uh, he asks him, like, where's my wife? And he's like, oh, don't worry. I gave her a nice honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> Honeymoon. <laughs> and <laughs> oh man, that's great. Um, but yeah, if anything, I feel like if it were to be vi- Tarantino's version were to be violent at all, it would have been probably about as violent as the uh, Dalton films. As yeah. at the time, uh, Dalton was probably the closest. Is well, I still stand by, but I think Dalton's probably the closest to. Uh, was it to the bond of the books? And that's probably the one that Tarantino likes the most. I have a very strong feeling he probably likes the Timothy Dalton ones the most. He probably doesn't or... like the Connery ones. <laughs> I'm going to just assume. <laughs> I mean, he might like those ones given he grew up with them. Anyway, uh, we're cutting over to a special guest, Quentin Tarantino, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> here he is, right here. He's been sitting behind me the entire time. <laughs> What about Quentin Tarantulino? Quentin yeah. Tarantulino. <laughs> Quentin Tarantulino. Yeah. That's on Lucas's shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would have been it would have been the the least violence, but also probably the next to Jackie Brown, the worst Tarantino film. <laughs> I'm not a fan I mean, of Jackie Brown for those of you at home. I just think it's boring. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Liam, do you have one more? Um, I was gonna. I was probably gonna have you go next, and then probably go again. Okay. Because I, I also do have one more. I have one, so let me hmm. go last. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll go next then. Uh, mine is uh, Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon. I knew we were gonna talk about it. Yeah. I knew it, I knew it was gonna happen. <laughs> Obviously, like for me, I'm I'm a big. I, I love historical uh, uh, epics, and uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, specifically talked about how his Napoleon will be a grand sweeping epic with lots of uh, incredible set pieces and battles, but it will also be a very uh, uh, in-depth character study on uh, Napoleon Bonaparte himself. 
and that's that that that's the kind of thing I live for. <laughs> can I can I tell a joke real quick? Go for it. What happens when you shoot Napoleon with a cannon? What? He becomes Napoleon blown apart. <laughs> uh, I have heard that one before. Okay. I think I've I've <laughs> probably told you before. You know, I if, if I haven't, I'm taking credit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I was uh, gonna save uh, Lucas. This is probably one of the most famous uh, films that were in development but never got made. I think, yeah, yeah, he was developing it in uh, for like twenty years or something, right? Mm-hmm. Then I, I believe I'm not sure if it came up because uh, he was developing developing it in the early '70s, and then Waterloo came out. I'm not sure what year that was, but I'm I mean, pretty sure that had something to do with it, uh, kind of exiting production. Uh, I, I will fact check that real quick. I think it was called Waterloo. It also would have been around the same time as like when Barry Lyndon came yeah, out. Yeah, 1970. Right. Uh, yeah, Waterloo came out in 1970. Yep. Um, but I, I, that, that, and, and it didn't do super well at the box office. So I feel like the studio kind of shut him down. But the thing is, I'm not a huge Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick fan. I like the like, I like commercial Kubrick. I'm, I'm, I haven't seen a lot of his early work. Yeah, like I, I do really love two thousand one. Uh, it's 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 a movie that I don't think I would like if I didn't see it on a big screen. Uh, seeing it on a small screen, I don't think I would have liked it. I dare you to watch it on an iPad. <laughs> I, mean, I was gonna say like I like better Kubrick's a Nokia films. phone. Sorry, Liam. I mean, I do like uh, Kubrick's films for the most part, or at least the ones I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like Full Metal Jacket a lot. I like The Shining. I like uh, like I said, uh, commercial it, Kubrick. I, yeah. I love The Shining. I like I like the first half of um, Full Metal Jacket. The second half is <laughs> is not my cup of tea, but um, I love 2001. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. I haven't seen yeah ev- every other anything. yeah everything else I've I've tried to watch from him. I I I kind of phase out pretty quick. Like uh, I tried to watch Eyes Wide Shut and I got bored. <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut is an interesting watch. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I tried to watch uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest or whatever it's called. He didn't direct that. No, I'm, uh, I'm thinking of something. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, I just I just couldn't really stand it. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like uh, Kubrick could have brought something really interesting to Napoleon's story. Uh, but yeah. They were both like, um, I, I think why he was probably so interested in Napoleon was because they probably had very similar personalities. Yeah, <laughs> like no. very obsessive obsessive big man mm. syndrome i guess but yep. napoleon didn't have napoleon syndrome or whatever you want to call it i mean like, i think he probably he probably did but like he, he also was yeah he was an egomaniac he was not that short but no. short um, by today's standards but yeah um but uh what uh, is there any other information we have on it like uh, any other notes or things kubrick uh, talked i about? believe kubrick was going to write the script uh, he he wrote the script actually, and it didn't really enter full development for another two years. And he wanted to rewrite it. Uh, he wanted to budget for uh, four million below the line. Um, for those that don't mean that means that means crew, uh, like people like directors and producers, everyone are above the line. Um, uh, four million to... for below the line. Yeah. And what did he yeah. want for above the line? Um, it does not say. Okay, he I... wanted he, he did want uh would part of that part of that uh, one million specifically would be would be uh specifically for the uh he's the large scenes. I assume that means the big battles, right? Uh, and they were going to film that in Romania. From apparently. what I've heard, he was he he was looking at having upwards of like a thousand extras 
Um, yeah, Wa- Waterloo sort of did the same thing. Waterloo has a lot of extras, and like they have, they use obviously 1970s. They they use almost no uh, uh, effects. It, everything was done in camera in that movie. And if you watch them, some some of those battle scenes, it's fucking wild. Yeah, <laughs> especially at that time, given that like uh, they didn't have the technology of uh, was it to really like in, unless you wanted it to look cheap, you couldn't really just import a bunch of. Uh, extra people into the background or like yeah. do a map painting or whatnot yeah i believe for waterloo they hired a bunch of um a bunch of reenactors like yeah, like they hired people right. who do that for fun and uh like they literally had cavalry charges they had people in like the square formations for the gunmen and like uh i haven't seen the full movie but i've seen lots of clips of the battles and it, it looks absolutely incredible mm-hmm. uh but uh, i think napoleon could have done something real interesting too I think it would have been much more focused on Napoleon as a person, uh, kind of dissecting his his uh, issues. Yeah. <laughs> yes, probably they might have even gone into like his earlier years, like when the French Revolution was going on. That could have been really interesting to see him him rise through the French Revolution. I know the script is out there. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's been published as a book, as far as I know. Okay. I, could, I could be wrong cool. on that, uh, but I know it was going to be an epic, so it was going to be mm-hmm. over three hours long. Yep. Um. And possibly even breaching on four hours. And like, knowing Kubrick, he definitely would have become so invested, like obsessive. Yeah. Right. And probably mm-hmm. did. And then where where in his career was this? Sorry, but this wasn't at the end of his career. Uh, this was in this was in the early seventies. Uh, right. nineteen seventy one is is the notes that I'm looking at. Yeah. yeah. So this is pre. This is even pre Barry Lyndon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would have been a busy man. Yeah. I think I, mean, I if, think this was yeah right after two thousand one because two thousand one was like in the late sixties I believe sixty eight yeah yep. sixty eight yeah. sixty nine uh, Liam what do you got because right. oh yeah uh, two thousand one came up before they went to the moon mm-hmm. yeah. Liam so uh, the last one I have is uh, one I've ta- I've mentioned uh, kind of in passing on other episodes and this one is where probably the most information exists and I have actually had the benefit of reading the script and this is uh, George Miller's Justice League. Mm, um justice mm-hmm. league dark justice league mortal right dark mortal mortal engines liam i um. saw that eye roll <laughs> i watched i was watching your screen those of you at home this is what he looks like when i talk to him in person <laughs> but worse um, sometimes but essentially um back uh this uh development started about a few months after uh superman returns came out and uh, uh what is it uh dc had the idea of like well Unlike our competitors right now, we have act we have the rights to all of our, to all of our DC heroes or whatnot. So they're like, well, why don't we just make a Justice League movie? So they came up with a plan to uh, start by making a Justice League movie, and uh, I was it in, I was it as just like a big tent pole get let's get the ball going rolling and get out there. Um, and then make and, individual uh, films after. That. Yeah, Army um, Hammer was going to play Batman. Yeah. So um, uh, was it uh they hired George Miller to direct it. Um, this is right after, uh, uh, was it, he had directed Happy Feet. Um, <laughs> yes, I go off and I tell people, I'm like, George Miller, director of Mad Max, Mad Max, or Mad Max for Road Warrior, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Mad, Mad Max, Max Fury, Fury, Road. Fury Road, and uh, Happy Feet. And also, <laughs> Babe, Pig in the City. <laughs> Didn't he also do Happy Feet too as well? He did. He wrote, um, I, he did, I don't think he directed it, but he wrote it. Same thing mm. with, with Babe. He wrote Babe, but directed Babe too. Uh, and Babe I could be wrong would, on that, but I think I'm No, right. that's right, because Pig in the City is much more of a George Miller-feeling movie. I fucking love that movie, honestly. 
but so george miller seems to have two settings <laughs> and he he that discusses is... it too he's he's like oh, yeah. I, I either make kids movies or i make hyper violent films like <laughs> although the first mad max is not it has some moments of violence but it's a pretty tame film compared to yeah his, his later I, it was pretty low budget if i remember right yeah. well he was also a paramedic at the time down in australia before he decided to make that movie yeah um anyway, but justice with league. uh justice league uh so uh the whole thing uh they got the ball rolling George Miller decided to cast a bunch of younger actors so they could grow into their roles and they could use them for long periods of time. Guess who was going to play Lex Luthor? Uh, Lex, no, Lex Luthor was not in the script. What? Who's Jay um, Burchell? So let me explain. Um, the cast uh, was it? So the cast included. I will, I will sit back. Uh, the <laughs> cast included uh, Army Hammer as Batman, uh, Megan Gale as Wonder Woman, DJ Katrona as uh, Superman, Adam Brody as the Flash. Uh, Hugh Keys Byrne, otherwise known as a Morton Joe from Mad Max Fury Road as Martian Manhunter. Uh, Teresa Palmer as Talia Al Ghul. Um, Santiago Cabrera as Aquaman. Jay Baruchel as Maxwell Lord. Uh, ah, Common, yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Common as, um, uh, was it as the Green Lantern? And uh, Anton Yelkin was going to play a young Wally West. Um, I think okay. Common would have been a better Martian Manhunter. Hmm. <laughs> um, I'm but serious. I, I think he would have been. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so essentially, uh, this, uh, was it they were all assembled, ready to go. They hired Weta to start building the Sorry, costumes. Justice League assembled? They... You no, really just no are one... here for the jokes, aren't you? No <laughs> Quentin, what uh, do you think of that one? <laughs> um, but so they, like, they hired uh, Weta workshops to uh, start building the costumes. And they assembled the whole cast down to Australia, ready to start rehearsing with the plan to film within about 10 days or so. But they ran into uh, one major problem. And one, uh, they, George Miller wasn't 100% sold on the script, and he wanted one more rewrite done. But the writer, but the writer's strike made that impossible, as this was going on right as that was beginning. Also, uh, the Australian government backed out of a production, saying they didn't cast enough Native Australians in lead roles. So mm. George Miller walked as the studio decided to uh, move production up to, um, uh, what is it, up to uh, British Columbia. And uh, long story, and then uh, the other, and then eventually they brought him back, they eventually convinced him to come back once the writer's strike was over. But then the, uh, was it the success of The Dark Knight happened and uh, it made the studio think like, wait a second, I think people might get a little confused if we have one Batman played by Army Hammer and one Batman played by uh, Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with how much money The Dark Knight made, they decided to stick to solo films. Yeah. Um, Man, that would have been a cool movie. I mean, um, and like, again, I have read the script. Um, the script, it, I didn't love the script, mainly because it feels like it's throwing everything at you. Like, it just seems to be throwing everything at you to see what would stick. Uh, the plot involved, um, essentially... Uh, Batman secretly having a uh, number of, um, uh, was it essentially files on all of the Justice League's weaknesses in case they were to go rogue, uh, based on a storyline of a comics from uh, the called the Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, uh, Talia al Ghul and uh, Maxwell Lord get their hands on, on those powers, take out the Justice League. Uh, Maxwell Lord is also using his fast food empire with uh, nanobots in them that is feeding to people that are causing them to turn into like mutant cyborg people. Um and uh, the, yeah, the, <laughs> uh, the film would have ended with uh, a big showdown between a mind-controlled Superman and Wonder Woman, 
and the Flash uh, essentially having to uh, merge with the Speed Force, going so fast that he incinerates himself. And uh, and then uh, Wally West would have become uh, the next Flash, and uh, the movie ended with them going off to fight Starro. Oh, man, I forgot Starro was supposed to be in that. That's so cool. Yeah, so see what I mean by it seems like they were just throwing everything at the wall? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and they were going. They were going like full comic book, full uh, comic book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the interesting thing again Fucking is that this, nanobots. Yeah. yeah, this would have been before. Uh, this would have been before Iron Man hit at all. If this movie had come out, we would have had DC would be uh, on top, and Marvel would be trying to keep up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, assuming it did well, but yeah, yeah. like it was at the time. It was uh, supposed to be the most expensive movie ever made. Damn. Um, there's all. Um, and also. Uh, uh, for those who are interested, you can go and you can find images from like the set or whatnot. You Concept can, art exists. There's some of Army Hammer in the bat suit. Um, it's kind of hard or, to make out what's really going on in it, but there's there's, there's concept art for what his suit was supposed to look like. Uh, there's also uh, Megan Gale in the Wonder Woman costume. Uh, there's a mold of um, uh, was it of a uh, Martian Manhunter's head? Um, and just like casually, they've kind of been releasing a few things over the years. Um, and there's also been talk about a full-blown documentary, but at this point, uh, I don't think uh, with the Snyder Cut coming out, Warner Brothers is interested in releasing any of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I doubt it. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, and in interviews, the cast have all talked about it. Like, Army Hammer described it as like it would have had the uh, visceral, intense action of like uh, Mad Max, but it would have also had like the very kinetic, almost tangibility of Abrams' Star Trek, mm-hmm. and like a very, a very similar color scheme to that. Like so, from what so from what's been described, it would have looked like the Justice League animated series in live action. Yeah, nice, very cool. All right, uh, you... Lucas, do you have you don't have any more? Hey, no more. It no. is Christian's turn. My time to shine, everybody. So from <laughs> from one DC Comics to another DC Comics character, we are going to talk about Batman Year One, directed by Darren Aronofsky. This is an interesting one. Yeah, this yeah. is a really cool story. So for those of you that are familiar uh, with uh, with the year one story, the plot of uh, the film would have been similar in a way, but uh, not as close to what year one, Frank Miller's year one was. So the plot of the movie was young Bruce Wayne is found in the street after his parents' murder and taken in by Big Al, who runs an auto uh, repair shop with his son, Little Al. Driven by desires for vengeance toward a, ma- toward a manifest destiny of which he is only dimly aware, young Bruce, of deliberately intermediate age, toils day and night in the shop, watching the comings and goings of hookers, johns, pimps, and corrupt cops at the sleazy, end, it, sleazy East End cat house across the street, while chain-smoking detective James Gordon struggles with the corruption he finds ep- uh, endemic among Gotham City police officers of all ranks. Um, so similar to what year one is with the whole um big al uh, guy like like um alfred is uh, a mechanic in those in that one right Liam? that's not no in the comics uh, it's just batman's first year as um what as am i batman. thinking of isn't there a, think, am i just thinking uh, of this movie yeah you're just thinking of this movie i'm just dude. thinking of this movie oh. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, anyway um so uh aronofsky was actually he was tied to uh, and connected to, to a robocop reboot at one point uh, uh, the Watchmen adaptation when it was first wow. starting to come up. He and, almost and directed the Wolverine. The Wolverine. <sighs> Damn. Jinx. No. Liam was Minnesota. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, was, oh, he almost directed the Wolverine. Uh, the the one that James... Uh, ma- uh, uh, Mangold, Mangold. The first one Mangold did. The first mm-hmm. Mangold film. 
Uh, the pitch was meant to be more or less uh, Death Wish meets The French Connection meets Batman. Uh, in year one, Gordon was kind of like the Serpico, and Batman was kind of like the Travis Bickle uh, from Taxi Driver. Uh, Aronofsky explains in, in the excerpt from the book, which I just read the uh, 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 synopsis. So I think like what happened there was, uh, again, um, uh, the Dark Knight was gearing up to happen, uh, and they mm-hmm. were leading towards... Uh, that so this really set the path for the Dark Knight and and for, what what happened there with uh, with the uh, ba- uh, uh, Batman uh, uh, Begins um, things yeah, like I that. Gonna, I was gonna say like because this would have been like before Batman Begins was being made. Yeah, so this set the course for for a, uh, more of what we got with the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, in that Batman was kind of moving away from being uh, goofy, you know, Schumachery. Yeah. Schumacher. So they wanted to take it and make it more um, grounded in reality. I don't think this movie would have worked. Uh, I know uh, Frank Miller was attached to help with the script, but he walked saying that like this Batman was too dark for him. Yeah, which is yeah. Why? I mean, they hired Darren Aronofsky. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, no. Mil- Miller was de- developing it with Aronofsky. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Just, it's it's interesting hearing all the things Aronofsky was hired to do but never did because like none of his movies that i've seen have anything in common with like a batman flick or fucking robocop <laughs> yeah or robocop well, the only reason he walked uh from the wolverine is because um he is because they were filming they were set to film out in japan and he didn't want to be away from his family for almost a year yeah mm. that would have been too long for him so yeah so the aronofsky kind of went off and and did um, like Noah and Mother and all these films, and if you look at those as examples, like, yeah, he he, I, he don't touch Batman. I don't, <laughs> I really don't think he would have been able to nail it. Cause and even with that synopsis I read, like, oh, it just makes me want to grit my teeth. Cause it's not, it's not a Batman movie. Like, mm. cause basically what they're saying, cause it says of deliberately intermediate age. So you're seeing Batman or Bruce grow up in this in the course of this film. Which, yeah. like, I guess we get kind of in in Joker. Uh, and, but well, I mean, the first 45 minutes or so of Batman Begins. Yeah. Of like uh, yeah. Batman or Bruce in his informative years. Yeah. And becoming, become, exactly, becoming Batman. And I think they handle, they give it, uh, Christopher Nolan definitely handled it with a little bit more grace than I think uh, Aronofsky would have done. Because, like, Aronofsky's, it would have been just kind of, I think he just wanted to flex a lot of his grittiness. In, mm. in in the movie you know if you look at requiem like that movie is very gritty and also very gross yep. um and i think there would have been a lot of moments in year one that would have really shown the um scum and villainry of of humanity um which uh. is is batman that batman does deal with those things but i think aronofsky would have gone really head first into that mm-hmm. and made it a little bit exploitive in my opinion I was also going to say there was uh, one point uh, where, or this is a note from somebody who was at the studio at the time, so take it with a grain of salt, but there was a rumor going around that of all people uh, Aronofsky wanted to play uh, Bruce Wayne, it was Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, look at that. Look at that circle. I mean, I think it would have been... if you you live long enough uh, to see yourself become the villain. (laughs) I think... I think this would have been an interesting movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it would have like, been interesting. 
If anything, though, I would much rather just read it as an Elseworlds comic. Me too. And I'm pretty sure it does exist in, in as an Elseworlds comic somewhere. I know I've seen panels that emulate this. Um, I'll do some research and, and post an update or talk about it in the next episode. But, yeah. So, uh, there we go. Do you think... What do you think? Do you think it would have been a, a, a good movie? A bad movie? I don't know because, like, Aronofsky's style is so specific and, like... I don't think it would lend itself to a superhero story. I mean, uh, I, depends on the superhero, but I like, mean, Noah's Batman? a superhero. <laughs> um, but like, uh, I, I, I at first was going to say comic book, but I'm like, no, like looking at something like The Fountain, I can definitely see like some him directing a pretty cool comic book movie. Yeah, and well, um, yeah, Aronofsky is a big fan of like anime and that sort of stuff, and it shows mm-hmm. in all of his work. Yeah, Aronofsky has also admitted to uh, being a fan of uh, multiple comics, uh, hence mm-hmm. why he's been, I uh, was a con, I uh, was a lobbied by a number of uh, studios to try and direct a comic book movie. Like he was one of the people Nolan considered to direct Man of Steel. Hmm. Um, like, yeah, no, and like, uh, yeah, I feel like a, a cl- classic superheroes, unless he like completely rewrote like what they are, what they're, what they're for. I feel like I feel like his style doesn't lend itself to that. Yeah, I, he, he be, might be able to do some something like something in the vein of Doctor Strange, but like or uh, even like uh, um, uh, History of Violence or V for mm-hmm. Vendetta. Like, yeah, yeah. V, oh, and Aronofsky V for Vendetta could be cool. I think maybe even maybe even like of uh, a question. Yeah, sure. Yeah. The mask. No, no, mm-hmm. no. He could not. <laughs> no. no, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so those are some movies that were never made. Yeah, Yay. some some that we wished were made, and some that were. Eh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We just wanted to talk about you know that the the development process is quite uh, extensive in Hollywood, and and mm-hmm. it does take a long time for things to come up, and and so much work goes into things that never happen, and yeah. a lot of those those people still get paid. So and the broken and system, the f- and it's fucked up. <laughs> And even the way uh, movies come out or whatnot, like just how much can change a movie can change from the development phase or whatnot into like what we eventually get, like uh, how um Bat- Aronofsky's Year One turned into Batman Begins. Yeah. Um, yeah. I could have even spent some time talking about uh, Neil Blomkamp and Peter Jackson's Halo that turned into District Nine. Yep. yep. <laughs> That's true. These are all conversations. Nice for another episode. On that note, we're going to go to break and then we're going to come back with Cool Wars. Cool Wars. Oh, Cool really? Wars. Uh, no, I think we <laughs> can. when we come back. Yeah, I don't know. Three, two, one. Cool Wars. Cool Wars. Cool Wars. <laughs> Fuck. All right, we're going to break. And before uh, we dive into the episode, we just do want to say, uh, please support the Black Lives Matter movement. It is extremely important uh, with however you can by going to protests, to donating. There's going to be a link for donations down in the description. Uh, educate yourself. Just just do whatever you can to support uh, their movement as it's extremely important right now. Hey, welcome back to the Thundercast. Uh, here we are. We are here for another segment of Cool wars. Cool wars. Cool wars. Cool wars. Cool wars. <laughs> I'm just gonna have Lucas do it from here on out. <laughs> I think Lucas Lucas's voice was made to say cool wars. <laughs> this episode of Cool Wars is brought to you by uh, Night Crawling. <laughs> <laughs> the 
the profession, not not the superhero. Yeah, no, the the profession, but also by archaeology. Uh, <laughs> this episode of Cool Wars. Uh, oh, let's cover the rules of Cool Wars. Liam, what is rule number one of Cool Wars? The characters are not fighting. It is bait main, is just judged on the merit of how cool we think each character is. That is right, and that goes by the de- all any and all definitions of cool. Oh, I had to move my mouse, and it brought up the rest of the thing. But that's fine, because I put an overlay over it. Anyway, so that means all, any, and all definitions of the word cool are uh, okay. So if somebody's cold, that counts as cool. If somebody wears cool glasses, that counts as cool. Uh, So yeah, we're going to jump right into it. And today's segment of Cool Wars is Lou Bloom from Nightcrawler versus Indiana Jones. Totally two very compatible characters. Very compatible. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Liam, you want to put 10 right. minutes on the clock there? Yep. And we're timers going in three, two, one. We are rolling. All right. Uh, All right. Here we go. So Lou Bloom is a fucking piece of shit. Yes. Uh, he, he is a piece of walking garbage. And an absolute psychopath. <laughs> Here's the thing Indiana Jones is not exempt from that either. Yeah. That is true. Indiana yeah. Jones can be quite a prick. He <laughs> is, he's very mean to women for one. Like, he's <laughs> like finding Marion and st- uh, held hostage and just leaving her there. Yeah, he's very <laughs> mean to snakes. <laughs> uh, Lou Bloom is he's kind constantly. Of... Yeah, he, uh, Indiana Jones is constantly stealing relics from other cult- cultures and and bringing them out of their country. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And really important ones too, like the yeah. the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> wow. Like, why is that? In, why is that in the warehouse in the United States? Yeah. The Holy <laughs> Grail, man. The Holy Grail. Yeah. I mean, Grail. to be fair, the Holy Grail he didn't uh, end up taking. That's true. The, the the temple does collapse, right? Yeah. Yeah. The curse. Um, the what's his name? The Crusader or the Crusader? Yeah. King? Yeah. The 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 knight. The the knight Templar there. The yeah. Templar. Yeah. Um. um I was going to say one thing with Indiana Jones that I've kind of realized as an adult is that like Han Solo, uh, India and a lot of Harrison Ford characters, uh, Indiana Jones is cool because he's not Yeah, like uh, he's kind he kind of just moseys through things and just kind of kicks ass along the way. But pretty much uh, was especially in Raiders like he didn't really need to be there for. um, Well, yeah, Harrison Ford perfected the apathetic hero. You know, mm-hmm. in a way, because he's so. Yeah. Yeah. He's also such a big dork at the same time. Like <laughs> Indiana Jones. Well, yeah, he's a total nerd. Yeah. Uh, you kind of have to be a nerd to to be an archaeologist. Let's face it. No. Yeah. Definitely. But also, just like, especially, especially in Last Crusade, when he's around his dad, like his his dorkiness comes out full force. Mm-hmm. Where he's just like, Dad. Dad, no, Dad, stop! No, Dad. <laughs> there's also that um, there's also that overcompensating bit where he's like, "Don't call me Junior." Yeah. <laughs> One of my fr- favorite parts of Last Crusade is where uh, Sean Connery, uh, his dad, is just like, "Oh, my son was wouldn't be dumb enough to bring the diary here," and then Indiana Jones like, "Yeah, uh, sure." And, yeah, and he's like, "You actually brought it here." He's like, "Dad, we can't talk about this now." And he kills all the Nazis. And then, <laughs> yeah. Then Sean Connery's just like, "Indy, look at the mess you've made." <laughs> Yeah. Um, go. Oh, that here's a point in in uh, Indiana Jones's favor. Indiana Jones kills Nazis. That's cool. Moo <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bloom um, is is would just film them. Yeah, he just film. He'd film uh, Indiana Jones killing the Nazis. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, Lou Bloom is like uh, the interesting thing about Lou Bloom is that like 
Uh, what is it? I think what's kind of cool is that like you find him compelling to watch and so interesting to watch, even though he is a complete and utter dumpster fire of a human being. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just like, uh, what is it? A highly amoral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, kind of like, kind of like Todd and Breaking Bad in that he he just he he does not have a sense of right and wrong. It's just not something that matters to him at all. Right. Somebody who spent all his life like watching videos or reading books on how to talk to people and communicate with them, but there's still that part in his head that just doesn't get it. Yeah. Like if, if you if you only spend like five minutes with the guy, he'd probably come off as relatively charming. But like spend more than that and spend, then spend five minutes and one second with him. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, these guys, yeah. there's something wrong with this guy. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Um, yeah. I mean, there is something respectful for a guy building his own business and becoming <laughs> like basically monopolizing the 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 night crawling uh, mm -hmm. you mean, industry. I mean, monopolizing isn't cool, but no. But <laughs> the guy was able to to turn his uh, all these other people's misfortune into a business, which is fucking awful. I think yeah. I have my answer. I mean, he, I he's guess extremely so. manipulative and extremely like like Liam said, uh, amoral. Not not immoral necessarily, though he does do a lot of immoral things. He is amoral because he just has no sense of right and wrong whatsoever. Right. He, he doesn't care. There's it, also, um, there's also that with uh, opposite Lou. I guess a, one respectable thing is just the fact that he just gets turned on to something and he just has a drive to go do it. Mm -hmm. Which I he mean, does have like a lot of ambition, a lot of focus, <laughs> and just like the simplicity of that is always something I will find kind of cool and interesting. Yeah, and yeah, when no, he wants he, he, these things, he wants these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like where the cool things about Lou Blue come from are like the looking at the framing of Nightcrawler and as a character study. Mm -hmm. He's so, a like, fascinating character. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah and like uh, Indiana Jones is kind of like has kind of been brought up by sadly by a bunch of film bro film bros as the golden boy American hero. Yeah, which is really unfortunate because I think there are better <laughs> there are more characters out there that that definitely fit that motif a little bit better. But Indiana Jones is. He's got a yeah. neat hat. He's got a cool whip. Yeah, one one point against Indiana Jones, he did teach an entire generation of men uh, that th like he he made them think that they could pull off a fedora. When <laughs> 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 yep, uh, only Harrison Ford can. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It should be called a Ford hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. i i really like indiana jones as a character he's he's very simple but like i i love that he's always improvising like he never has a plan he's just he's just doing whatever he needs to do in the moment and it's always going wrong he always gets out like by the skin of his teeth <laughs> yeah he's a bad father though he is an awful father yeah um to yep. Mutt. Um, he also he also had a bad father <laughs> true true yeah he, he's not a good partner Nope. nope not at all not even like he's uh, really awful with small children yeah <laughs> well i mean he finds a kid he picks up short round essentially because he i think uh he says that he found him picking his pocket or something but he just brought him along yeah. with him yeah that, that's kind of how most of indies like friends end up on their on, up, end up on his adventures they're like i guess you're here you can come yeah yeah <laughs> technically this is kidnapping but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna make it cool. Uh, I have diarrhea. Yeah, well, I'm gonna yeah. shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones uh, is 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 very cool. Lou Bloom, Lou Bloom is. Uh, they both have a lot of moral problems to them. 
in a lot of ways, Little Bloom a little more so. I think I'm <laughs> leaning more towards the fact that, uh, what is it? Uh, from what you described, Lucas, like that's why I would, I uh, was it describe Indiana Jones as cool. Well, I find Lou Bloom more fascinating than anything. Mm-hmm. But did we just? And with that we, being said, I think it. I have my answer. Yep. Do you have an answer, Lucas? Yeah, we did. <laughs> I do. All right. Pause that timer, Liam. Where are we at on the timer? Uh, two minutes forty-seven seconds. Ooh, Look at that. Yeah. Hey? All right. On the count of three. Ready. Three, two. One, One, Indiana Jones. Indiana, Indiana Jones. Jones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unanimous yet again. Uh, yeah. I've been forgetting to post the polls. Uh, so I oh, think, no. Yeah, so this has really just been an our decision thing, which, you know yeah, what? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm taking it. <laughs> I'm owning it. Uh, maybe I'll do a, a grand uh, survey uh, in, mm. in the next little while where people can, can answer multiple mm-hmm. questions if not um it will be on our there will be a poll on our patreon um which is a great way to transition out of this episode thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the thundercast uh if you like what you heard make sure you go and follow us on instagram facebook youtube and twitter on instagram facebook and youtube we are thunder lizard collective and on twitter we are thunder lizard og all of that information will be uh, on the uh, bottom right hand of the screen here. So uh, if you if you uh, want to go check any of those up, make sure you go check them out and follow us and like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Again, if you did like what you heard, I'm using that phrase twice. Uh, tell a friend. Tell grandma. Um, I'm sure she wants to talk to you, especially after a lot of the restrictions have loosened up and you can probably go visit her now. So you can tell her about all the wacky things that we do on the show. Follow us on Spotify. That's a good place for you to, to follow along with the show. You can also give us five stars on iTunes. That's really helpful because it makes us uh, stay uh, on the charts and in people's feeds. Be uh, uh, sure to do the same on the equivalent uh, platforms that you like to listen to, uh, the Thundercast and the other shows that we have. Uh, speaking of which, you can find two of our other shows which we are producing right now one of which is the thunder and dragons uh hosted by lucas here as our thunder master and also starring our friend dan uh uh, and i have a show called expose yourself which i haven't posted an episode in a while but there will be a new one coming out in uh about four days so make sure you go and listen to that uh and i also want to give a extra special thank you to our patreon sponsors yes so a big thank you to kate to tanya to Brittany, and to scott i'm not sure if you have usernames on that website i'm using your first name i think you know who you are um your your name and initial will be underneath liam now uh, this has been the Thundercast for this week. My name is Christian. My name is Lucas. And I'm Liam. See ya. Are we ready? Right. To, are we just going to fucking launch right into it? That's yeah, what well. I was kind of assuming. You okay. seem to be hyping us up for I'm, that. So. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I say Thundercast and not Thunder and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want that mistake again. <laughs> I've done it so many times. It's okay. <laughs> That's Lucas. That's why we have editing.
And before uh, we dive into the episode, we just do want to say, uh, please support the Black Lives Matter movement. It is extremely important uh, with however you can by going to protests, to donating. There's going to be a link for donations down in the description. Uh, educate yourself. Just just do whatever you can to support uh, their movement as it's extremely important right now. 